110 of the Cricket Her Weekly. And we're actually recording this about 24 hours earlier than usual because it's my hen do tonight. I'm so excited, Sid. Good. <laughs> um, and so... Citizens what, of Reading, beware. <laughs> so what that means is that um, if anything happens on Saturday afternoon, evening or early on Sunday morning, then I'm afraid it won't be covered in the broadcast. If, just in case anything major happens. So sorry about that. We're behind the times as usual. Um, anyway, okay. So, Sid, we did have an interesting listener question um, after last week's podcast. We did one that really made me think. So what was it, Raph? It was from Christian Barrow, and he says, um, "Is under 19 the right age for a junior championship?" Because of course we were talking about the ICC's under 19 World Cup that's going to be held in South Africa next year. He says, despite cricket being a game where players mature and play later than other comparable sports, why do we make the junior championship age younger than the standard of under 21 in sports like football and rugby? Yeah, I thought it was, this was a really interesting question. It's one that really set me thinking. Um, I think that ultimately you have to ask what the purpose of the under 19 World Cup is. Um, and it's easy to see it like in terms of similar to um, other sports to go, well, we're nurturing particular players. So, and that's like kind of the obvious answer. So you go, well, if you look at the men's under 19 World Cup team from 10 years ago, look how many of those players that were in that England, England team won it about 10 years ago and okay. contained people like Ben Stokes that obviously went on and several of those players went on to be top professionals. It, it helped to nurture those players, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think the under 19 World Cup actually is really about that. What it's about is forcing the boards to nurture their age group systems. So in, in a way, it's not about those individual players. It's about saying to individual boards, you need to nurture your, your system for schoolgirls and for age group cricket in order to provide a team for this. And that forces you to pay attention to that level and to pay attention to the level before people start becoming professional. So if it was about the individual players, if what we were trying to do was really give experience to you know, people like Alec, the Alice Capsies of this world, then I think an under-21 tournament perhaps would make more sense, as would a rule saying, for example, that you couldn't play if you'd played in a full, interna in a full international for a full member country or something. Um, but in the end, I've concluded that that's not what we really what it's about. It's about nurturing those systems. And that's why it's so important that we've got 16 countries participating, because it's forcing all of those boards all around the world to look at their kind of girls cricket and to nurture that side of the game, which is what's going to take the game forward you know, mm -hmm. in 10 years, regardless of whether those people, and hopefully many of them will, but in some ways it doesn't really matter whether those individuals go on to play at the higher level. It's perhaps another argument um, in favour of allowing players like Shafali Verma to play in these teams, because we all know that um, when you've got one really excellent player in a team, then that kind of ethos spreads and you're able to share that around a bit um, and that um, some of the lesser known younger players will really learn from playing alongside a player like that. So there's, there is a, a kind of development aspects there as well yeah maybe and we might be coming back to that in a minute it might be a theme that we're revisiting a bit later okay um so thanks very much christian for your question and and do keep sending in the questions and we'll keep trying to answer them um whether or not you're happy with our answers is, is another matter so big event this week um the release of this year's wisdom sid oh we should have brought a copy down to hold it up rough Imagine that I'm holding up a copy of Wisdom. Those of you that are just listening on the audio-only version, Sid's holding up a copy of Wisdom. 
Yes, Sid is holding up a copy of Wisdom. It's very yellow. Anyway, um, it's very exciting for us, despite the fact that, yet again, there is no fancy dinner in the long room at Laws to celebrate. But we celebrated... I, I never get to go to the fancy dinner anyway. So. <laughs> we celebrated in our own way, didn't we? With read By reading it over yeah. a cup of coffee. And we're both in it. Um, it feels quite immodest to say that, but it's quite exciting, isn't it, to be in it? Yeah, and I love wisdom. It's like it's part of history, and it's it's something that's going to still exist in you know a hundred years time. People will still be collecting their wisdoms, I think. And I've sort sort of feel very proud to to be involved in that from that perspective. You know, it's something that you know my great grandfather, who was a cricket lover, you know, back in the days of the, around the time of the First World War, um, you know, he knew what wisdom was, and you know, my grandfather knew what wisdom was, and my grandchildren will know what wisdom is. So it's it's really awesome like that. I'm really proud to be part of it every year. Are you going to say who your great grandfather was? Um, he was, he was some guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's for another episode. Um, and, um, there were obviously all of the usual Wisden Awards announced. Um, and in particular, from a women's cricket perspective, there were two South Africans honoured this year. Um, so Lizelle Lee was named as, um, 2021's leading woman cricketer in the world. Um, and uh, Danae van Neerkirk was named as one of the five cricketers of the year, which is obviously done based on performances over the English summer rather than across the whole year. So, um, yeah, thoughts on thoughts on Danae, perhaps, Sid? Do you want to kick us off with that? Yeah, I think the important thing to remember is it's, it's, it's not even just quite performances in the English summer, it's about the impact on the English summer. Yes. And I think that, that it's really key that, that um, you know, the 100 was obviously, you know, kind of did change things a lot and it was a really significant tournament um, and you know the Oval Invincibles came came through the pack and won that and I think that she was a huge part of that um, and it's kind of interesting that the way that, that we look at these things because um, we, we often um, we're kind of accepting cricket that the best player isn't sometimes the most important player um, but it's something that we kind of it we sort of ignore a little bit as well and the reason I say that is because whenever we talk about like an, imp an important player that isn't the best player, someone we often hark back to is Mike Brearley, because everyone always goes, oh yeah, Mike Brearley, because he was, he was basically England captain and he wouldn't have been in the team if he hadn't been the captain. But I think the very fact that we're kind of harking back to someone that was playing for England when I was still in short trousers, which unfortunately is quite a few <laughs> years ago, um, is, is kind of recognises that it's, it's something that... While we talk about it a lot, we don't always give people a lot of credit for not necessarily being the best player, but still being a really pivotal player. And I think that, well, that's what's going on here. So um, Donna Van Nierke wasn't the best player for the Oval Invincibles. I mean, she only has to look across the breakfast table <laughs> to see, you know, probably who was the best player. Um, you know, and other players were really important as well. Alice Capsi obviously played as, you know, some significant innings and also bowled really well. Um, but what she, she did was she was kind of the keystone of that team. She kind of brought it all together yeah. and it was her leadership and, and on, on the field and off the field. So there's a couple of significant events that I remember, right? That I remember um, Alice Capsi talking to you uh, and saying that, you know, when she'd walked out, you know, in one of the early innings, was it the one at Lords perhaps, then she was the really nervous Lourdes. and she'd made a yeah. slightly scratchy start, which is unusual for her because she usually starts off really quickly. She's usually banging the ball from the, mm. from the very first. Um, and... Um, Dana came out and joined her and just, you know, had a, gave her a little pep talk. And that pep talk was what, you know, 
relaxed her and enabled her yeah. to get into playing her game. And that's, that's leadership. Um, you know, and then uh, I mentioned this on Twitter, you know, her standing back at the, at the trophy ceremony and going to the young players, you know, you guys lift the trophy, you know, it's, it's not just about me, it's about you and it's about the team. And I felt that that was a really significant gesture of, of leadership and kind of a, a huge degree, you have, to have, you have to be really self-confident to do that, right? Because if, you know, if, if you're kind of, you know, all about you, then, you know, or even if you're slightly, you don't have self-confidence, you go, well, I need to be the one lifting the trophy because otherwise people won't know that it was me that, Whereas Darnay was just like, you know, I've done my bit and, you know, I'm confident enough in my leadership and my part of this team that I can let other people have the glory. And I just thought that that was a really kind of a moment of inspiration and that will inspire those players going forwards. And it'll be really interesting to see what people do next year. Really interesting to see if, if the captain in next year's trophy ceremony sort of feels that they, they have to do the same thing. Um, because it's it's kind of something that Darnay has set in motion. Which anyway, does a copycat gesture then? She possibly, was, she yeah. Was the original and best. Anyway, uh, so a very significant player and um, an award given because of her of her leadership very much. Okay. I feel. So now I've I've rabbited on about Darnay. What about Lizelle Lee, Raf? Um, she scored a lot of runs, and at the end of the day, you could not argue with the weight of runs that she scored in ODI cricket last year. But it wasn't all smooth sailing for her, was it? No, and actually um, I'm privileged that um, every year for the last few years I've um, written the piece on the leading woman cricketer in the world um, and it, generally speaking, involves um, ringing them up and, and saying, you've won, congratulations, which is always really nice, um, and then getting a little interview with them and getting a few quotes. It's normally a relatively short piece, but it's nice for them to have something to say and be able to kind of you know talk about their year from their perspective. Um, what I found really striking about talking to Lizelle Lee was I was expecting her to say, oh yeah, I had a brilliant year and it was really great. And um, yeah, this is why I managed to score so many runs. And actually um, I was just amazed at, um, first of all, the fact that she decided to open up to me about the fact that she'd really struggled with her mental health in 2021. Um, which she didn't, she absolutely didn't have to do, um, and it's not something that I've really seen her talking about very much elsewhere. Um, so that was that was amazing, and um, you know it was just just um, kind of nice that she felt able to share that with me, I suppose. Um, and but also the fact that I think that we often associate player or poor player mental health with poor performances um, on the field. We think, oh, that will that will affect them. That will affect their cricket. Um, and for example, people who have previously talked about having struggles with mental health within women's cricket. So Sarah Taylor couldn't even pick up a bat um, when when she was at her worst and she was just away from cricket altogether. Um, Kate Cross has talked about the struggles that she had with having to be in the bubble but knowing she wasn't going to get selected um, and so in neither example was was it it wasn't the same as was with Zell Lee what was going on last year was she was coming out and she was batting brilliantly and um, pulling out these amazing performances and then she was going off and between times she like couldn't get out of bed she was really struggling with her mental health and I think that that shows us something quite important, which is that we shouldn't assume that because somebody's performing well on the pitch, that means that everything's okay with their mental health. Yeah, you never know what's going on kind of, you know, behind behind the mask, literally in the case of, you know, a batter that's, you know, you know, you, you, what's going on behind yeah. that, that grill. Yeah, so um, I think that the piece, you know, it's, it's brilliant to recognise her achievements, but I also think that she was brave to speak out in the way that she did and that, she, you know, it teaches us something very important about player mental health and... Um, you know the fact that the warnings, the warning signs, aren't always the signs that we that we might expect. 
um, and I, I hope that you know she can go on and have a brilliant um, 2022 and, and beyond um, and she said that she feels that she's now kind of back to her best mentally so let's hope that, that that's reflected and obviously um, since we did the interview she's she's become a mum so that's exciting obviously big congratulations and um, yeah all the best to all the best to Liz Ali. Um, yeah, so that was so that was the um, leading woman cricketer in the world. Um, yeah, that wasn't the only piece you had in in Wisdom this year, was it, though, Raf? Because there was a really great piece um, by Dr. Raf Nicholson <laughs> um, about women cricketers in, in World War Two, and it was a it contains a really interesting pair of photographs mm. at the top of this piece because it contains the photographs of two women that kind of juxtapose the experiences of war. Um, and what it means to different people. Um, and um, so, first of all, tell us about these two women and what, what their experiences were of war and why these two women are contrasting, Raph. Who were yeah. they? Yeah, well, the piece was kind of, is kind of about the experiences of um, women's cricket, particularly centering on English women's cricket during the Second World War, because I think it's a story that's not really been told before, even though we hear a lot about men's cricket during the war. Um, and actually, a lot of the um, women players did go off and do really exciting things during the war and had these kind of amazing adventures. And, and also, um, you know, the war opened up cricket um, to a generation of women who perhaps otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to it. So there's a really like, nice, positive story that comes through, hopefully, in this piece. Um, you know, you have players like, for example, Myrtle McLagan, um, who was one of the early great batters for um, the England women's team in the in the 30s. Um, she ends up kind of playing. She she's she's in the army, um, the women's army, and she ends up playing cricket in otherwise all male officers teams. Um, and really, you know, and the, all of the men are quite surprised at how good she is. Um, and so there's a kind of you know, nice nice exciting thing there of getting to play alongside men that wouldn't have happened in peacetime because at that time um, cricket tended to be fairly strictly segregated by sex at competitive level um, you know there's women who then you know go off and join the armed forces and because cricket's being offered in the armed forces they get um, they get to play for for the first time some of them and there's a woman called Joan Wilkinson who I think is one of the ones that you're referring to in those two photographs um, who has a brilliant time in the war um, she is she um, is a working class woman um, born in Lancashire grows up in Lancashire and um, working in a factory um, and um, during the war the armed forces hear about how good she is at cricket and they go okay well you know we want you to come and, and play for us and and we want you to come and play cricket and be in the army. And she, so she does that, and then she um, she stays in the armed forces. And then after the war, she represents England. Um, and so she has it totally changes her life and her life opportunities, and gives her that um, access to cricket and a, almost like a cricket job at that time, um, as so much as there was one for a woman. Um, and so how fantastic for her. But the other woman um, that's in the photograph um, that's that's in that that set of two photographs is a woman called Cecily Moore, um, who was actually killed in an air raid um, during the Blitz in London. Um, and I think that's a kind of a bit of a stark reminder that obviously, um, you know, the Second World War did take an awful lot of lives, an awful lot of civilian lives. Um, and it's quite sad. And it opened up opportunities for some. And this, this is the cricket here just reflects what happened in yeah. society more generally, that yeah. it opened up opportunities for many, including, you know, people like my own father who had opportunities that he wouldn't have had, um, you know, as a working class man, you know, born shortly before the war. 
um, you know, in the 50s, the opportunities that he had were kind of created by the fact that an awful lot of other people had been killed in the war that might have been competing for those opportunities. Mm. So, you know, two sides to that coin. Um, but a wonderful piece, and I recommend Thank that you. you go out and buy buy a copy of Wisdom just to read it. Don't have to read anything else in it. <laughs> no, do do read lots. There's, there's loads of really good stuff in there. I yeah, mean, it's Wisdom, for goodness sake. Um, something that was really interesting, it's always really interesting to read, is um, the, the editor's notes at the start, um, where current editor Lawrence Booth um, expounds on what he sees as the kind of key themes of the year. Um, and it's, it's interesting that um, on this occasion he describes 2021 as having been an, um, I have to pronounce this correctly, an anus horribilis. Is that right? <laughs> I think it's anus. <laughs> Do you want me to cut that bit off? No, no, it's my Hindu. I can make dodgy jokes today. I'm allowed. An, an, an anus horribilis for the, for the ECB. Um, and uh, but yeah, you know, and it talks about very. But surely it wasn't that bad draft because people got huge bonuses. Yeah, exactly. Um, and well, obviously, you know, we know what happened with the Azim Rafiq racism scandal, um, and we know that um, in terms of kind of on-field performances, the England mess in the England men's test team. I think I got it right the first time. The England mess team. Um, I've had a bit of a poor showing um, over the last few months, including a very miserable tour down under. Um, and um, actually, Lawrence, I, I think it is Lawrence who, who calls for the ECB to return the bonuses. He's like, you don't deserve them. Put it back into the game. Not going to happen, mate. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's an interesting reflection on where he sees the state of English cricket at the moment, um, but I just I just think it's quite interesting from in a, from a from a kind of women's cricket perspective to read that because it's very much a kind of a narrative of English cricket framed around stuff that's happening in the men's game, um, and actually if you read um, other bits of wisdom, you know it talks about. Um, 2021 has actually haven't been a really exciting positive year for women's cricket um, in the sense of the hundreds being brilliant um, and you know lots of other lots of progress other progress in regional cricket yeah. the Charlotte Edwards Cup coming yeah. in and adding into the RHF and expanded RHF things like that exactly um, and so and, that, and it's just quite interesting because it shows that that narrative of um, an Anna Cerebellus is um, is something that is almost framed just by talking about the men's game and actually yeah the success or failure is kind of judged yeah. almost exclusively by whether or not the men's team is doing well yeah and that's so that's that's sort of kind of a bit of an indication of of where um of the sort of status of um the women's game i suppose which is which is not great um you know i just wonder whether do we think that 2021 was an anna for women's cricket in the same way i, I think that some of those issues um, do impact on women's cricket. Obviously, racism impacts on women's cricket, and you know there are other things as well. Like, um, you know, there may it may well be that there are people who are um, helping to run women's cricket at the ECB who did get some of those some of that bonus popped. We don't know. They haven't, they haven't said who's got the money. Um, and actually, should those people be immune from criticism? Um, should it all be framed as a debate about um, the men's game? Because otherwise. Um, what you get is kind of huge turnover in the personnel of those running men's cricket, like, for example, all of the debate about Rob Key coming in um, as the director of English men's cricket um, and, uh, you know, there being all these con all these concerns about, well, well, people saying he's going to do a brilliant job, but obviously, we, you know, we don't know and he's got a lot of pressure building for that role. Um, whereas, like, feels like um, the people who are kind of 
you know, the directors of women's cricket um, are almost like then just stay in place and they're, they're immune from criticism. And that's not really, that's not really right, is it? Yeah, there needs to be something in the middle where, you know, you've, you've got an acceptable degree of judgment for, for the women's game because there definitely are criticisms you can Absolutely. make of the way things that are developed yeah. in the women's game. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's equally true that, you know, that most of what we have we have to say genuinely remains positive for the last few years, I think. I know that we still have a reputation at certain cricket boards of being quite critical, um, you know, as a website and, uh, and kind of as individuals. But actually, we're, we're, we've been largely supportive, I think, of most of the, most of the changes that have happened over the last few years. And there's, there, there, there have been a lot to get excited about. Yeah, there have. Just, it just needs to be measured, doesn't it? And it needs to be balanced with, um, you know, saying what we could do better. Okay, um, well that's wisdom. As Sid says, go out, buy a copy, it's great. And I'm not saying that because I'm in it. <laughs> um, I'm not only saying it because I'm in it. Um, okay, now Sid, final uh, talking point of the week. Um, our season has officially got underway, um, our women's domestic season here in England. Um, and we were out last weekend watching um, some county cricket, weren't we? Yeah, we went down to, to Berkshire or along along the road to the other side of Berkshire and we saw Berkshire against Shropshire. Shropshire. Let's get that right. Um, and yeah, we saw um, one game a little bit one-sided and one game uh, a little bit more two-sided. Mm -hmm. Berkshire won both those games, but you know, they were reasonably competitive games and probably the sort of thing we want to be seeing in county cricket. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, elite standard cricket in the, you know, I don't think that anyone will pretend that. Um, Mia Rogers, who was the one professional, oh, well, not sorry, that's not that's not correct, is it? But the one person who's played some professional or semi-professional cricket, yeah. obviously she gets paid for appearance match fees yeah. for the Sunrisers, so you definitely would have to count her as a semi-professional. Um, so she kind of dominated the day, really, didn't she? She got fifty runs in the first match and then got more runs in the second match. Um, but you know, it was just it was great to to, to see everyone out there and enjoying their cricket yeah. and showed how much county cricket means to, to these girls. Fry Johnson at the end she took four wickets in the final over, she was did. it? Um the, of the second match for Berkshire, kind of got them over the line and you know, she was just so delighted to yeah. be playing and it's just like that's what for me county cricket yeah. is about and I hope we can maintain that going forwards. Um, so really enjoyed doing that. Um, you know, there were obviously lots and lots of other games on show. We're not going to go through all of them because we'd be here all day. <laughs> we um, We do want to briefly mention the, the Middlesex yeah. Huntingdonshire thing that happened because that shows that, you know, we still haven't got it quite right. Isn't, isn't that right, Ralph? Yeah. Um, so Middlesex have been really strangely placed in this group alongside um, Hertfordshire, Buckinghamshire and Huntingdonshire, who you mentioned that they played last weekend. And they played them in two games. And I think that they... Um, they absolutely smashed them in both games. I think the, the second match they won by like 180 runs or something ridiculous. A total mismatch um, and really not very useful, even if you're a Middlesex supporter. Um, you know, it's just, there's no, it's not competitive. It doesn't really do anything. It doesn't, if you're a Middlesex, uh, sorry, if you're a Sunrisers professional who's trying to use county cricket to warm up for regionals, that doesn't help you um, because obviously you're going to be facing much stiffer competition in a few weeks' time in the RHF Trophy. Um, and also, sorry, in the Charlotte Edwards Cup, which is first. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that doesn't really help at all. Um, and, you know, if you're um, Huntingdonshire, then how demoralising 
for you to be playing against a team that's you know stuffed full of people who um, some of whom are professionals, um, most of whom did play in Division One because Middlesex was traditionally a Division One county. It doesn't make any sense for them to have been put in that group, and it just shows that um, whoever's kind of trying to run this thing at the ECB, um, I mean, it's it's messy and it's difficult when you're trying to do it on the basis of partly on minimising travel and partly on trying to kind of categorise the county. We should say for the benefit of, of viewers that, you know, from overseas and things, that it does geographically make a little bit of sense. Um, yeah, but, but it doesn't make sense in any other way. Yeah. And I'm sure, I think that if you ask Middlesex, they'd say we'd rather travel further and play better cricket than travel smaller distances yeah. and, and just wipe, wipe out the opposition. And you can't really see anything other than them you know, annihilating the other two teams in their group as well. So that seems to me to be a bit silly. Um, and yeah, I think that it shows that in some ways this new county structure that the ECB have put in place for T20s, whereby um, it's all done totally artificially and they just, they just go, right, these four teams are in a group, these four teams are in a group, these four teams are in another group. And there's no promotion, there's no relegation, there's no movement between, it's just all, you know, everything or nothing these few matches in the season it doesn't work yeah so with what we've what we're, what we're bringing up here really i think is the fact that having mia rogers come from sunrises and play for berkshire and um, be the only kind of semi-professional player in that game can lift things up a bit and everyone can look at her and see the way that she's approaching her game they can see the way that she prepares they can see the way that she actually bats on yeah. the field and whether the way that she keeps wicket and people can learn something from that whereas when you have a middlesex turning team turning up that contains like eight people that have played professional yeah. cricket then and you get absolutely smashed then that's far too much and you don't learn anything like that well you're so talking again, about, about you're talking about mia rogers playing for berkshire if you know if naomi Dutani was going to go and play for huntingdonshire then that's a bit of a different thing, isn't it? But they're all playing against, so it's yeah. it's a team of semi-pros against a team of amateurs, essentially, and that just doesn't doesn't do any it doesn't do any good. Anyway, we've banged on about this for long enough, but basically, whoever's running it at the ECB, sort it out. Do you think they'll watch? <laughs> I doubt it. Okay, good. Right. Well, that's all for this week. I need to go and get ready, Sid. I'm so excited. Okay. Um, well, enjoy yourself, Raf. Thank you very much. We'll be back here next week, um, unless Raph's in jail for various head <laughs> <laughs> <and> nights. <laughs> Misdemeanours. <laughs> it's not going to be that dodgy. Anyway, okay, I'll, I'll fill everyone in how, on how it went next week. Um, see you then. Bye-bye.